0: The following sermon is by Boyd Johnson, pastor of Treasuring Christ Church in Athens, Georgia. More information about Treasuring Christ Church can be found at tccathens.org. There is no greater promise in history than the promise of Christ returning. Ever since Jesus ascended into heaven, believers have been waiting and praying for him to come back as he said he would. We pray as we wait, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And we pray, thy kingdom come, just as Jesus taught us to pray. And one day, Jesus will answer those prayers. That's a prayer you can be assured that he will answer. Jesus, come. Thy kingdom come. He will come not as a lowly servant, but as a glorious King who will establish His righteous kingdom here on earth. But when He returns, not everyone will receive Him with gladness. Instead, many will receive Him with fear and dread, and rightfully so. We read about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verses 5-10, to where Paul writes, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, For several weeks now, we've been studying this passage which Paul wrote to comfort persecuted believers in Thessalonica. He comforted them by reminding them of the righteous judgment of God. That's the key phrase of this passage found in verse 5. The righteous judgment of God. God is a judge who will always do what is right. That's the God we worship. That's the only true God. The God who is a judge who will always do what is right. And here in this passage, Paul offers proof of that. Proof of God's righteous judgment is demonstrated in the fact that God will one day render to everyone what they deserve. There will be a reckoning. And in this reckoning, all will get... What they are owed. In the case of the persecuted Thessalonian church, this would mean that God would, in verse 6, repay with affliction those who afflict you. And, in verse 7, grant relief to you who are afflicted. In other words, God's justice will be seen when He punishes the persecutors and grants relief to the persecuted. So even though the Thessalonian believers suffered great injustice at the hands of unbelievers who persecuted them, perhaps some had even died because of the persecution, they could take comfort in the fact that ultimately, Jesus would vindicate them. Ultimately, justice will be done. No one will get away with unrighteousness. At times, we find ourselves needing the same comfort. We see injustice in this world, or we suffer injustice ourselves, and we wonder how long, O Lord, before He rises up and sets everything aright? Now Paul's answer is that we must focus our attention on what God will do in the future. Ultimately, justice will be done, according to verse 7, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. Jesus will come and judge the earth. When He comes on that day, His second coming will be a day of judgment. But, as I said earlier, not everyone will receive Him in the same way. Some will receive him with rejoicing and worship, but others will receive him with fear and dread. The difference all depends on how you relate to the judge. How do you relate to Christ? So, as we contemplate our study of this passage and focus on verses 9 to 10, I want to show you the two outcomes of Christ's coming. And how it all depends on how you relate to Christ Himself, the two outcomes of Christ's coming. First, when Christ comes, his enemies will suffer. When Christ comes, his enemies will suffer. Paul writes in verse nine, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of the of his might. Now there is no doubt who Christ's enemies are. They are described in verse 8 as those who do not know God and those who do not obey the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. His enemies then are unbelievers. They lack a personal relationship with God and have refused to trust in Christ. They refuse the offer of the gospel, the great promise which must be obeyed. And when the Lord comes, he will, as it says in verse 8, inflict vengeance on them because of their rebellion against him. He will come as judge over all the earth, and his enemies will suffer. Now, in verse 9, Paul describes the suffering that Christ will inflict on His enemies in three ways. First, they will suffer a certain verdict. They will suffer a certain verdict. He writes, they will suffer punishment. Here, Paul borrows words from the legal realm to describe the judicial reckoning Christ's enemies will face. The words suffer punishment literally mean to pay a penalty. Again, taken from a judicial context. To pay a penalty. In fact, in Greek, this word for punishment derives from the same root as the words justice and righteousness. In Christ's courtroom, the verdict against unrepentant sinners will be that they must suffer punishment. They must pay the penalty for their unrighteousness. This must be the case because He is a righteous judge. His justice demands that the sins of everyone, everyone, bear a penalty. When Jesus came the first time, He came to die for sinners and pay the penalty Himself for all who believe in Him. He became the sacrifice that's necessary for sin. He made atonement for sin for all who believe in Him. But when He comes the second time, He'll come to judge sinners. And they will pay the penalty themselves because they have not believed in Him. There is no doubt about what the verdict will be when He comes. The verb suffer in verse 9 is in the future tense, which indicates not only that this punishment will take place in the future, but also that it's certain to happen because the Lord Himself will carry it out. The Lord is the only person in the universe who... When He makes plans, when He intentions something, He gets what He wants. All His plans come to fruition. And this plan will come to pass. He has the power to carry it out. So unbelievers will pay for their sins. This verdict is certain. Secondly, Christ's enemies will suffer a severe sentence. They'll suffer a certain verdict and also a severe sentence. Paul says they will suffer the punishment, notice, of eternal destruction. That describes what the punishment is. Eternal destruction. The word translated destruction is rarely used in the New Testament. Only four times and always by Paul. But it always describes divine judgment. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5.3 the first letter that Paul wrote to this church, he described the Lord's future judgment as sudden destruction, using the same word. Sudden destruction that will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. This will be an inescapable judgment. An inevitable judgment that will come upon people. Last week, we reviewed Revelation 19, which describes the wrath of Christ when He comes in judgment. It will be a terrifying sight as He comes down from heaven and begins to strike down His enemies. But His judgment against them won't end there. Their death is only the beginning of their judgment. His enemies will continue to suffer judgment in hell. Jesus Himself described in vivid language what this place of eternal destruction will be. He called it a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That depicts the anguish of hell. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. He said it will be a place of outer darkness. A place of utter despair, in other words. Far away from the light of God's blessing. He said it will be a fiery furnace where they suffer the hell of fire and are in anguish in the flame. These are graphic depictions of the place called hell. Their punishment will be Painful. And excruciating. But it's even worse than that. Because their torment will never end. Jesus describes the eternality of hell with equally vivid language. He called it an unquenchable fire. An eternal fire. An eternal punishment. A place where the worm of agony does not die. These are the words that Jesus used to describe hell. And if anyone would know, it would be Him. Because He is Lord of all. The fire of hell cannot be put out. It always has fuel to burn more. And it will burn for all eternity as those who are there suffer for all eternity. So the judgment that is coming will not be for a moment, but will be forever. It will be unending, continuing on and on and on for eternity. When the saints have been with God in His new heaven and earth, experiencing blessing for 10,000 years, the enemies of God will have been in hell experiencing torment for the same duration. John describes the fate of Christ's enemies like this in Revelation 14:11 The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night They will have wished they had never existed they will wish that they could go out of existence rather than facing the wrath of Christ forever but their suffering will endure Hell must go on. Hell must be eternal. Because the length of the sentence must extend in proportion to the dignity of the one sinned against. They have sinned against an infinitely glorious God. Therefore, the punishment must be infinite, the punishment must match the crime. And so they will suffer a severe sentence. Thirdly, Christ's enemies will suffer a sorrowful destiny. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, Paul says, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. The destiny of Christ's enemies will be both a suffering away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of His might. This is the same experience described in two different ways. There has never been a greater hope for man than to live before the face of God without the presence of sin. This is our highest hope. To live before the face of the Lord without the presence of sin. Adam and Eve were privileged for a time to do this, but their sin separated them from God. And since then, God's people have longed to be united with Him again face to face. When Jesus came to earth the first time, God dwelt with man again. Emmanuel, God with us. But He came to an earth corrupt with sin and to a people not yet redeemed. And so the hope of all God's people remains that we would live before His face forever without the presence of sin. For believers, that will happen in a new heaven and a new earth. And what will make that new heaven and earth so good will be the presence of God. This is what God's people have longed for and prayed for, especially in times of distress. The Psalms are filled with these prayers. Psalm 4.6, lift up the light of Your face upon us, O Lord. Psalm 31.16, make Your face shine on Your servant. Save me in Your steadfast love. Psalm 67.1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. Psalm 80, verse 3, Restore us, O Lord. Let Your face shine that we may be saved. To be before the face of the Lord is the place of greatest blessing. And the greatest of all blessings to see the face of God. That's why God gave Moses this benediction to speak over Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. But Christ's enemies will suffer forever away, Paul says, from the presence of the Lord. Literally, that reads, from before the face of the Lord. From before the face of the Lord. Away from that, they will suffer. That's a metaphorical way to describe judgment. If the greatest blessing is to live forever before the face of the Lord, then the greatest judgment is to live forever away from the Lord. Away from His blessing. Judgment is often described like this in Scripture. For example, Isaiah 59.2 says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. That's a description of judgment. Proverbs 15.29, the Lord is far from the wicked, a relational distance from them, but He hears the prayer of the righteous because they are near. They are relationally near Him. Again, to be far away from the Lord is a description of judgment. Of course, the Lord is omnipresent. And He Himself is the one who judges His enemies, so He will be present to judge His enemies. But Christ's enemies will be banished from the realm of His blessing. And in that sense, they will be away from His face. Hell is a place only of curses, not blessings. Likewise, it is a place, Paul says, away from the glory of His might. For God's people the Lord's glorious might or the Lord's glorious power is a power that provides. It's a power that protects. But for God's enemies, the Lord's power only punishes. Those in hell will not receive any provision from the Lord. No protection from the Lord, but only punishment. And so they will suffer a sorrowful destiny because they will not receive the blessings of the Lord ever again. When Christ comes, His enemies will suffer. But the day of Christ's coming won't be a day of dread for everyone. We see this in the passage, secondly, that when Christ comes, His saints will worship. When Christ comes, His saints will worship. He will come according to verse 10, to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. This describes how the saints respond to Christ's second coming. Now, who are the saints? The word saints literally means holy ones. It's an adjective here. An adjective that means holy ones. And it refers to everyone who Christ has redeemed and made holy by His sacrifice. So every true believer in Christ is a saint. Christ will be glorified in His saints and He will be marveled at among believers when He returns. Once again, Paul uses two phrases to describe the same experience. That Christ will be glorified in His saints means that they will worship and honor Him when He comes. Likewise, that He will be marveled at means that believers will revere Him in worshipful awe. And so, the saints will worship Christ when He comes. When Christ returns, this will be the response among, Paul says, all who have believed in Him. That includes the Thessalonian believers, and it includes you if you have trusted in Christ. No matter whether you've already died or whether you're still living when Christ comes back, If you are His, you will witness His return. In fact, the saints will accompany Him in His second coming. It's not just that you'll witness it, that you'll come with Him. In Revelation 19.14, John recorded the vision given to him of Christ's second coming, and he saw that the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following Him on white horses. The army is dressed exactly like the bride of Christ in verse 8 of chapter 9 of Revelation, which symbolizes all those whom Christ has redeemed. So all those who Christ has redeemed will come with Him in His second coming. So, believers will come with Christ in His second coming and will respond by glorifying Him and marveling at all that He does and all that He is. His coming will be a sight to behold and it will elicit worship from all the saints. We will see with our own eyes the One who, according to Philippians 3.19, God highly exalted and bestowed the name that is above all names. King of kings, Lord of lords. That's who He is. We will see our Lord and Savior Subdue His enemies and take up His reign on earth. So the promise of Jesus' second coming is good news for God's people. It's a wonderful promise to those who have trusted in Christ alone for salvation. When Jesus comes, those who believe in Him will be safe and will worship and will rejoice. But it's a dreadful warning to those who have spurned the Savior and have not believed in Him. When Jesus comes, those who haven't repented of their sin will receive judgment. As for the saints in Thessalonica, Christ's second coming was good news for them. The reason, according to the end of verse 10, was because our testimony to you was believed. They heard the Gospel that Paul and Silvanus and Timothy preached, and they believed in Christ. And because of that, Christ's second coming will be good news for them. But will Christ's second coming be good news for you? It will be good news only if you have trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. If He died for you, then your sins are forgiven and His second coming will be great news. You'll see your Savior face to face. But if you haven't put your faith in Him, then you are still in your sins. And He will judge you at His second coming. He won't come as a Savior, but as your judge. And He will treat you as you are. As His enemy. There are only two eternal destinies. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains, abides on Him. One destiny is eternal life. The other destiny is the wrath of God. The difference in eternal destinies depends on whether you trust in Christ or not. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ will receive eternal life. Whoever does not believe in Jesus Christ will receive eternal judgment. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28 just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. He won't come to make another sacrifice. The once for all sacrifice has been made. He will come to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him and to put to judgment those who are not. Will you be one He saves when He comes? Or will you be one He judges when He comes? Examine yourself. And make sure that you have trusted in Christ. When He comes, it will be too late. So seek the Lord, as the Bible says, while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on Him and to our God, for He will abundantly pardon Isaiah 55, 6-7. Seek the Lord while He may be found. The promise of the Gospel. The offer of the Gospel is extended to you even now. And if you put your faith in Him, even in this moment, He will save even you. This is God's promise to all of us if we will but trust wholly in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we ask that if there are any here, and surely there are, who have not truly put their faith in Christ, that You would lead them to eternal life through Your Son even now. Lord, cause Your Spirit to stir in people and grant them a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit so that they would desire Christ and forsake their sin. Father, if You don't do this, if Your Holy Spirit does not give people new hearts to trust in Christ, then no man can come to Christ. We pray that You would do that by Your sovereign power. We pray that many would come to saving faith. And Father, for those of us who have trusted in Christ. Lord, we pray that we would set our minds in heaven and think of what's to come and let these promises of Christ's return and our glorious future be a comfort to us even in these days. Lord, we know that in this room, many have suffered injustice. Many have been sinned against in terrible ways. And Father, we pray that it would be a comfort to them that You are a God of righteous judgment. You will do right. Reckoning will occur. Those who are righteous will be given relief. And those who are unrighteous will be punished. We can be assured of that. But Father, You've also called us to pray for our enemies. And to bless our enemies. And so while we wait for your judgment to come, Lord, keep us from taking justice into our own hands by lashing out against our enemies and hating them with the same hatred that they've hated us. Help us to pray for their salvation, and that they would come to Christ, and that they would repent of their sin. And that justice would be done even on earth as it is in heaven. Lord give us the patience we need to wait in these days. And Jesus we pray. Come. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Treasuring Christ Church in Athens, Georgia. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not alter the content in any way without permission. Treasuring Christ Church exists to spread a passion for the fame of Christ's name in Athens and around the world. We invite you to visit Treasuring Christ Church online at tccathens.org. There you'll find other resources available to you and information about our upcoming gatherings.